0: Welcome, everybody. My name is Jim Breckbuehler, and I'm the discipleship minister here, and I want to welcome you. We are in the middle of our four-week series, The Four H's of Financial Wisdom. Last week, we did heart. This week is health. Next week is habits, and then we'll follow with hope. And last week, if you weren't here, we handed out booklets that pertain to this particular series, and they can be picked up out at the Welcome Center. I would encourage you to get that because it gives you something to do throughout the rest of the week. So last week we established this point, God owns it all. Psalm 24.1 states it perfectly, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Can you say this with me? God owns it all. God owns it all. Maybe you're thinking, but I'm the one who has used my skills and my talents, my IQ to get to what, to accumulate the stuff I have. And so it's still mine. But Deuteronomy 8.18 tells us, but remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He's the one that created your skills and your talents. God owns it all, but we're the managers of his resources in five areas. And there are only five areas in which we can use God's money, and God's word speaks to each of these five areas. Today, we're going to look at five simultaneous competing priorities for the use of this money. In the live part, this is kind of like our family living part. This is where we practice providing for our family, for providing for ourselves. It's where we learn contentment and enjoyment because we view money simply as a tool. And then another area is give. It's where we open our hands to release God's resources. He wants our hearts connected to his kingdom history, kingdom story. And then there's two areas where we owe. We owe debt, where we want to eliminate debt, because debt always presumes the future. And then we owe taxes. We pay taxes with, are you ready for this, gratitude? How many of you pay your taxes with gratitude? Yeah. I was a tax accountant for 20 years. Nobody thanked me for figuring out how much they owed internal revenue. But we have to remember that God gave three institutions on the earth the church, the family, and the government. And our government provides a lot of good services for us and keeps us safe. And lastly, the area of grow, it's where we demonstrate financial maturity by giving up today's desires for tomorrow's benefit. Next week, We're going to talk about the areas that we spend money in, but next week, Steve then will talk about the five principles for wisely managing those five areas. And as we study this pie, we need to realize four simple yet profound truths. First one, when we spend, we must prioritize. While we may want to be generous, we need to make sure we fulfill our obligations, maybe to lenders or wherever else we have. That we need to take care of. There are no independent financial situations. When you spend in one category, you're taking it out of the other four. The longer term our perspective, the better our financial decisions are today. When we think 5, 10, 20, and 30 years down the road, the better our decisions are today. If we only want to short, think short-term gratification, it will lead to long-term headaches And this last one, I want you to pay particularly close attention to everything we own comes from the creator. We said that since he owns it all, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Let me repeat that since he owns it all. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that I practice that every day where I'm out thinking, hey, I'm spending God's money. Am I using it wisely? And I will say this, this week's been very challenging as I prepared this message, and I hope this material will be uh, challenging to you also and helpful. So let's look at the first part of the pie, the live part. This is where we practice providing for ourselves and for our families. It's where we find contentment and enjoyment because we view money solely as a tool. Paul's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6-10, and people are looking over Timothy's shoulders. He reads this letter from Paul, and Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And Paul, in this particular passage, he is, he is arguing against, he's telling Timothy, hey, beware of the false teachers in your church. They are only wanting to have financial gain. And he says that's the wrong kind of gain. He says this is what right gain is. He says it's when you combine godliness, which is the awe of God, the reverence of God, with contentment. Now the thing is, is that the stoic and the cynic philosophers of the day, they thought contentment was this. And before you check out and go, I don't relate to those guys, listen to what the cynic and and stoic philosophers thought contentment was. They thought it was self-sufficiency the ability to grit one's teeth and bear whatever fate delivered, to pull oneself up by their bootstraps. This is written to the American culture today. We're just the modern cynics and stoics. But Paul declares that genuine althakia, genuine contentment, comes not from self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. And so what he's saying is when we combine a reverence for God along with a dependency on Christ, that is where we will find contentment. And then he goes on to remind them of a very simple truth, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. We are totally dependent when we come in this world on everybody else. We bring nothing into it and we're totally dependent on people once we head out of here. We can't take anything with us. Then he goes in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So you may be thinking, yeah, but we live in Ohio. And when it gets down to zero degrees in December and January, we can't survive with just food and clothing. And this is called, uh, what this is called in the Bible is a synecdoche. It's where you take a part of life's necessities and they reflect the whole. So in this particular part, when we're saying all you need is food, it's the food and the employment to earn the food. And we're talking about clothing. It's the clothing on our bodies, but it's the clothing over our heads. It's our lodging. So what Paul is saying here is that we need to be content with our employment, our food, our clothing on our bodies, as well as the roof over our head. Then he goes on to say, those who want to get rich fall in temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So who's tempting us? Satan, of course, and he uses retailers who are always like, hey, come come in here, man, 50% off, 25% off, buy two, get one, another one free or whatever, and you need what we've got to be content. I think he's using colleges too. Hey, come here. You're going to get a great education. Take on college debt, and you're going to just excel in your field, but the truth of the matter is 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Credit card debt is rampant. If you're carrying credit card debt, you've got plenty of company. Americans have $830 billion in credit card debt, according to Experian from 2019. Growth in credit card debt has risen steadily for eight straight years, going back to 2012. College debt is off the charts. The average student loan balance per borrower in the U.S. is $35,620. And an increase from 2018 to 2019 by 6%. And keep in mind, $35,620 includes people that have been paying 5 or 10 years already. Kids coming out of college today are just loaded down with college debt. 48% of our millennials carry a student loan balance. The moral of the story here is if we can find contentment at a lower level, Will much less likely be enticed into debt we can't service or sinful habits to fulfill our desires. Then in verse 10, he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. He didn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil, but the love of it. And you may go, I don't want, I don't love money, but how many of us don't want a bigger pie? I do. But here's the caution in this that the love of money can actually cause people to fall away from Jesus. They start to chase material goods. They start to worry. They they start to be in love with climbing the corporate ladder. And pretty soon they have forgotten their faith. Ultimately, what Paul's saying here is the definition, the world's definition of contentment can't be fulfilled, but it can be achieved by seeking sufficiency in Christ. And being thankful for our food and our clothing. When we find contentment at a much lower threshold, it greatly affects our spending habits. And a note to parents, your ultimate provision to your children beyond food and clothing is to make them rich, but rich in Jesus Christ. You are to provide for them a walk with Jesus, to to lead them to the Lord and grow them up. We talked last week at the men's retreat about fathers. It says, do not exasperate your children. Don't jerk their chains, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's no passivity. We talked about passivity for dads leading their kids. The Lord has got to go out the door. They are under constant attack by Satan. And we want to leave a rich inheritance. But it's an inheritance that it's a godly inheritance where our sons and daughters will raise up their children to love the Lord, our grandkids, and that their grandkids will raise up their kids to love our great grandkids and and lead them to the Lord. It's leaving a rich spiritual legacy. Let's go to the next one. I'm not going to spend the same amount of time on all these. Don't worry. Okay, the next one. Give. This is where we open our hands to release God's resources. He wants our, our hearts connected to his kingdom story. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now don't jump to any conclusions here yet till we get to the end. Paul's using an agricultural illustration here. A farmer puts one seed, for example, in the ground for corn, And it will yield 800 kernels on average by fall. The more seeds he puts in an acre, he'll yield more corn. If he sows sparingly, he'll reap sparingly. If he sows generously, he'll reap generously. But then Paul then moves to the part where he talks about our heart has got to be aligned. We have to have a proper giving attitude. He said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And last week, Steve drove home this point for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever we see where our spending is in our, in our checkbook, where we go, those type of things, that's where our heart is at. And he says, you need to give based upon a heart that is aligned with the kingdom of the Lord. You are, you're about the will of the Lord. We are not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. You shouldn't go back to one of the offering boxes and then have to lean over to your buddy and say, hey, Leo, would you help pry the money out of my hand and and drop it in? He doesn't want that kind of giving. He doesn't want you to give out of compulsion where you're like, yeah, they've guilt tripped me into it and I feel like I just got to give. He doesn't want that either. But what does he want? He wants a cheerful giver. We always have to remember we never give to get more either. That's the health and wealth gospel. Just give and the Lord's going to make you rich. That is a false doctrine. Go to verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Right there, it sounds like, well, wait a minute. That says that we are going to be blessed with financially, financial gain. And God is is able to bless you abundantly, so then in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And when we look at that, here's what it's saying. God will bless you abundantly the way God thinks he will bless you abundantly. And Paul just talked in, a, in, in the Corinthians verse, I mean in 1 in, in Timothy, about how we need to be blessed by our clothing, by our food, the roof over our head, and our employment. That's what we should be thankful for. And he said anything beyond that, he says, you will abound in every good work that he will bless you generously, not so that you can accumulate more and more stuff, but you, you sow generously so that when it comes back to you, you can even be more generous to give it away. Can you dream with me about what it looks like when we're really generous? Maybe we could be part of a church plant. Maybe you could sponsor a kid here at Discover to go to Round Lake or CIY or our high school mission trip this summer. A lot of parents have a lot of bills they're paying, and maybe you're at a point in your life where you can say, hey, I'll, I'll sponsor a kid so they don't need to worry about it. That can be life-changing for a teen. Maybe you could send a young person to Bible college. So many times we have kids that go off to Bible college, but it costs so much. By the time they come out and want to enter the ministry, they have so much debt they can't afford it. Now, I, want, I don't want you to jump to inclusion. I've never heard the elders say this and haven't heard it in staff I me. Mean, this is my brain, okay? But just dreaming. What if we hired someday a Hispanic staff member who would reach into our Hispanic community and help discover, share the gospel with them? How exciting would that be? to bridge that gap. Maybe you want to build a house. You're thinking, I haven't even got to build my own, but you could build a house in Haiti for a little under $4,800. Maybe you could pay for a single mom to go back to school and learn a new trade to increase her income so she can support her children. Maybe you can help the hurting kids at Christian Children's Home of Ohio like so many of you do when fall comes and the list goes on and on. We teach here that tithing is a form of worship. We believe that 10% is a biblical tithe, but if you don't give 10%, I would encourage you to just jump in and start somewhere. I truly believe that when we tithe, things last longer, we're able to stretch things a little more, and we will see very little change in our checkbook, but we will change lives for eternity. All right, so we'll move through these next ones pretty quickly. Okay, let's go to the owing part where we talk about debt. Here's where we want to eliminate debt because debt always presumes the future. Proverbs 22.7 says it so truthfully and it's a harsh reality. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Most of us at some time have been slaves to the lender where it was such a burden. And we feel like we are just paying and paying and we become a slave to the bank. But James talks about how when we take on debt, we presume the future, that we are going to be able to pay it back. And he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will do this or that, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say. It is the Lord, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. I was thinking as I was preparing this, when I was a child, which was a few more days ago, um, it was very common to hear our parents or grandparents say, Lord willing, the kids will be home at Christmas. Lord willing, I think we're going to get our house built. That was very common to hear the term Lord willing. There was more of a mindset that we are dependent on the Lord and we don't know what the future is. And this whole thing of our life is a mist and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow is most illustrated when we look at what happened in Nashville this week. Many of us probably have, we do, we have family and friends in Nashville that have been impacted by this. The loss of life was terrible beautiful homes be- Nashville's a beautiful city if you haven't been there their neighborhoods those homes were gone in a split second we don't know the future we can't count on it Cheryl was telling me about a dad who said he and his son he had just time to run down the steps with him and then the roof of their house was gone by now you may have seen the crane operator who was filming from his crane which that would be crazy and he's freaking out But I thought it was interesting. The one thing he said was, if I don't make it through this, please tell my family I love them. And I'm proud to say that we've got four guys on the ground right now monitoring the situation and working down there. Doug Kupfer and his employee, Shamar, Phil McCrocklin, and Paul Griffith. These guys are representing Discover and beginning our efforts down there, and they're working with Helping Hands Ministry. assessing the situation. So this morning I asked Paul, what do you want to share? And this is what he gave me. The amount of destruction is incredible, but the response and support of God's people from all over is overwhelming. They're going to be working there till four o'clock-ish today, and then they will be headed back tonight, and we'll get home 11 o'clock-ish, Lord willing. And Paul added, we have provided, Discover, we have provided temporary repairs to serve several homes and have moved literally tons of debris. And funding is coming out of our disaster relief fund here at Discover, which will need to be replenished. And if people want to give towards that effort this week, you can do so by marking on your offering disaster relief fund. You can give online too. You can text to give. And the disaster relief fund is one of your choices to give. Again, when we take on debt without a way to pay it back, we are presuming the future. Okay, go to the taxes. This is quick. Jesus said, tell us then, what is your opinion? The Pharisees are trying to trick him. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? The imperial tax was a tax just on the Jewish people and people subject to Roman law. Roman rules. It was not for their citizens. And the Roman government was brutal. They harassed the Jews. They would eventually start to kill Christians. So Jesus would not have agreed with this imperial tax. And keep that in mind when you're thinking, I don't know if I agree with the government. That's why I'm not going to pay my taxes. So knowing that this tax would have been bad, this is what Jesus said. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied, and then he said to them, So give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. As Christians, we're to pay no more or no less than we owe legally. In an area, if an area is gray in our complicated tax code, We should take a position where we never have to lie in an audit. The Bible speaks very clearly to integrity and telling the truth in all circumstances. There's no exception for integrity in the business or financial world. You might say, well, that's just a little, no, there's no difference. And as a tax accountant and consultant, a full-time business owner for 20 years, and I still have had a few clients on the side to supplement my income the last 17 years, I believe this, and I practiced it then, I practice it now. But I want to add this, because this is on my heart, as having to dealt with people over the years. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So what that is saying is that be wise to the way you act towards non-Christians and don't miss the opportunity to potentially share the gospel with them. And so when you go in and talk to your inner circle, whether it's your tax preparer or your accountant or your attorney, don't ask them to do something that's going to compromise your faith. If you hand them your church donations and then ask them to do something that's going against that, they see a lack of integrity. And accountants and tax preparers and attorneys need the Lord. Okay, that's just the. You may say my accountant's a scumbag, though. That's why he does what I ask him to do. Well, then he definitely needs the Lord. All right, the last one here: grow. This is where we dem- demonstrate financial maturity by giving him today's, giving up today's desires for tomorrow's benefit. Two key things here. The longer term our perspective is, if we're thinking out 5, 10, 20, and 30 years, the better our decisions are today. We start to think kingdom-minded for the future, not short-term gratification. And Jesus dealt with this in a parable. Luke 12, 16 through 21, he says, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And you may be thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. But if you drove here in a car, slept in a warm bed, ate breakfast, you're a rich person by world standards. The average per capita income worldwide is $10,298. The per capita income in Burundi is $280. In Haiti, it is $780 per year. Now, I'm going to emphasize the word my and I as I read through the rest of this. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place for my crops. Now, Jesus is uh, telling this parable, and he's setting up this whole parable with this question, what shall I do with my crops? And we've heard Jesus answer this question before. And we know the answer. The answer is to give to the poor, to take care of people, to take care of kingdom issues. Then he goes on to say, and then he said this, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And we need to note that the rich man used I and my 10 times. This whole thing is about him. It's not about God. And then Jesus finishes this parable off with some very strong language. He says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it'll be with whoever stores, listen to this, this is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Dr. Mark Black closes out this section very well. The follower of Jesus cannot eat, drink, and be merry without helping those who have nothing to eat or drink. Life is not about taking it easy, but about serving those who do not have it easy. In this part of the pie, we're making, we're growing in long-term decisions to meet kingdom issues, not just our own wants and needs. Now, you may be thinking that all this sounds good, like, boy, I would love to do this or I would love to do that, but we are struggling financially and we want to help. Our stewardship and generosity team will help you. You can call the church office and ask for Paul Griffith. He is both an elder and he is on staff here as our executive minister and he will help connect you to the right person on that team. And you can help start to get your finances in order. We've been talking about how God owns it all. But the initial step there in believing this and to start to give what God really truly owns is to start with your soul. God owns your soul. It will be up to you whether you choose to direct it in a proper manner because someday you will die. And you either go to heaven with him for eternity or go to hell for eternity. But it's your decision. But God owns you and he owns your soul. And it's your choice with what you do with it. And just as we talked about the things in Nashville, boy, there's such a loss of life. And when they went to bed that night, they had no idea that some of them would not wake up in the morning. So don't put this decision off because you don't know what tomorrow will hold This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.